Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help autistic teens and adults become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. In addition to the coaching of Autism Personal Coach, we have monthly events to support autistic people in developing community. We are always trying to find ways to make these events more inclusive. That's why I'm excited to talk with today's guest, Kelly Braun Johnson. Kelly is the founder of Completely Inclusive, a company whose goal is to support businesses and community events that want to be inclusive to all people. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start out and learn where does your story in the autism community begin? So for me, I didn't get diagnosed until I was an adult. I was in my 30s, um, and it was after my son was diagnosed. I started to see a lot of similarities um, in the way that he behaved and, and the way that I kind of understood him. That was, it seemed like it was more than just a regular mom's instinct. I seemed to really um, found like a kindred spirit. And, and uh, so I went, I went to see a private psychologist to ask for testing and... Um, I actually got tested twice because um, I was okay with the first results, but I didn't. I didn't. I still didn't feel like she got me um, because I kind of wanted more info. I was still struggling. She didn't really give me a lot of resources. She kind of said, "Okay, well, here's how you are, and you seem to be doing pretty well, but you're working and you've got a family. You're okay." And I didn't feel like I was okay. <laughs> so, so why the diagnosis gave me some answers. Um, I was really looking, I guess, more for some strategies um, on how to deal with things like sensory overload that I was having and, and some anxiety. So um, two years later, I went to see another uh, psychologist, and he t tested me, like, the whole gamut of things. He checked for personality disorders and depression and learning disabilities and ADHD, and uh, it turned out that I have a very high IQ. So... I'm thinking that a lot of what happened in my childhood and in my life was that my high IQ kind of compensated for some things in some ways that made, I guess I didn't stand out in that sense. They, people would say, yeah, okay, she's kind of weird. <laughs> she's kind of quirky or she's kind of picky. But um, especially in the 80s, it wasn't really a, a thing to start diagnosing um, females, especially with autism. And, and even then, I think the understanding of autism was really... Um, just not so complete as it is now. I've met so many females that were diagnosed as adults. Yeah. Where Where do you see where we are, like, in terms of diagnosis of females and, like, how far do we have to go at this point? I, I think we're still missing a lot. And I think even now, um, girls are getting diagnosed, but they're getting diagnosed at 12, 14. It's still missing um, the early childhood period unless they... Uh, have very severe behaviors or are nonverbal. It's like, unless you're presenting as a very classic type, the ones who are kind of withdrawn and shy and quiet and, uh, and you know, more cerebral. But the problem is that, you see, in my case too, I did really well in school, but I was still getting bullied and I didn't necessarily have tons of friends. But the teachers on their side were like, well, she's doing fine. She's doing well in school. So they didn't, take a look at the social aspect. They didn't take a look at other areas I was struggling in. So I think that's a, a common issue for a lot of females, for sure. 
Now, in 2018, you founded Completely Inclusive, whose mission is to create inclusive environments where everyone feels safe and respected as equals. One of those environments that you help to make inclusive are work environments, and you provide workplace audits. If an employer wants you to audit their workplace, what would they expect during this process? So I go in and I audit or evaluate for, I have a giant checklist that I go through. So I'm not just um, going in for, uh, well, I do, I measure things for wheelchair accessibility as well. Can they fit through the door? Can, is there a, a ramp or a ledge or a step that's causing a, a barrier? Um, because I, I consult for all disabilities. Um, I can look at, you know, the thickness of the carpet can affect people with uh, hearing disabilities and it can affect people with sight and vision disabilities because um, just navigating on a thick carpet can cause problems and the way that sound vibrates. So a lot of companies wonder, so can you actually make a place accessible for everybody? And I say, yes, absolutely, 100% it can be done. There's so many factors that you can look into and they're not usually difficult um, changes to make. Uh, but I, yeah, I go into the physical part, I go into lighting, I, I look at sensory, I look at um, sense, I look at the way that um, the office is designed, or the quiet areas, or, you know, the noise levels, um, are there visions, uh, sorry, visual lines of sight. So people who are using sign language have to be able to see each other. They can't have big barriers up in front of walls because then they won't see each other and be able to communicate. Um, so there's so, so many factors that you can uh, take into account. So I basically go into a business and I say, okay, here's all the parts where you're doing well. Here's parts where you could use an improvement and here's what we need to do. Now, Completely Inclusive also provides workshops to businesses to help them to be accommodating to neurodiverse workers. What are some things neurotypical employees have learned at these workshops? I think a lot of times, so they learn, I think they learn a bit about the, the disabled experience and what that's like, what daily life is like, and I think they can build some empathy. Um, but it also helps them to demystify the fear aspect, the things that they don't know. And a lot of time when, when people don't understand or they don't know why something's different, there's a lot of fear around that. And I give them a venue to kind of ask anything. I mean, really, uh, I say this is a time where it's an open book. You can ask anything you want. I won't get offended. And I think they come away with a new perspective. And, and not just for uh, co-workers or, or, or people that they're serving, but they start to realize a lot of uh, aspects that it's going to affect themselves. Because let's be realistic. Right now, the numbers are that 25% of all Canadians have a disability of some sort. So that could be a mobility or pain disorder or a uh, physical disability. That number is only growing and it can happen to anyone. And in fact, one of the most common disabilities that somebody acquires later in life is, is blindness, vision. And it's often caused by an accident. So it's not like, I think a lot of the old thinking was that if you have a disabled uh, family member, you've done something wrong. You've sinned somehow and there's something wrong. Um, and I think people have to come to this awareness that it will really happen to anyone at any time. And it's not an issue of you doing something wrong or bad. 
it's not some sort of punishment. It's just the natural variance of, of people in the world. And this is diversity. This is the world that we're in. So um, I hope they come away with that kind of perspective and understanding that, that it gives them tools too, not just to work with other people, but to, if it does happen to them, how they're going to deal with it and how they're going to mentally process that. Have there been any questions at these workshops for you that that really kind of surprised you and took you back a little bit? Not yet. I mean, I've heard a lot. <laughs> I've heard a lot of things. Um, I, to be honest, the most interesting question that I get the most often, uh, because I always start my talks by saying, I use the language of I'm autistic. I don't say uh, I am a person with autism. And I say, I have a disability, I am disabled, and I'm perfectly clear and open about that. Yes, there are great factors to being autistic, but there's also some challenges that it puts in my life. And that is the one that has the most people questioning and almost almost getting them upset, <laughs> questioning um, why I would call myself autistic openly. Um, and some of it, sometimes it's educators who have been taught, that's what they were taught, that they were supposed to say, okay, this is a child with autism, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to put the, remember that they're a person first. So basically how I contract that is I, I say, I could introduce myself and say, I'm a female. Does that mean that you forget my humanness when I say I'm female? Or if I say I'm a black woman, do, did you forget I was a person when I said I was black? It's the same thing as if I'm autistic, did you forget I'm a person? If I say my name is Kelly, Am I still a person? And one person countered and she said, well, if somebody was going to judge you on your color of your skin or your sex, that's rude. And I said, sure, of course. If, if, if somebody was going to reduce me to one of those things, yes, it's rude. But that doesn't stop me from taking pride in who I am. It doesn't stop me in taking pride in my identity. I'm still going to be a proud black woman regardless of what the world says. I'm still going to be a proud female regardless of what how people treat females. And I'm still going to be a proud autistic person regardless of what people want to think about autism. Yeah, that's probably the, the most interesting question that I get on a regular basis. I know you also provide guidance to human resources through Completely Inclusive in helping them to attract diverse talent. What is your message to human resources when you have communications with them? Human resources have a very, very tough job because they've got, they're kind of stuck in the middle where they're, they're uh, you know, they've got their quotas and they've got the directives from, you know, the top down coming at them. And you want to make sure you have a productive workplace. You want to make sure that, that you're, that, you know, the numbers are met and, and you're basically hiring the type of people or finding the type of people that the execs want. And a lot of the times the execs will come with something like, you know what, I like this Philip guy. I want another one like him. And another one like him isn't reduced to just the task he's doing. It's also his culture, his, his race, his, um, you know, his gender or his sex. Sometimes when a human resources person brings in somebody who fits all the other criteria of the work, but not the same race or not the same gender, execs can actually get angry. It can actually be a, like they're upset about this, that it's not what they wanted. What they wanted was this kind of more uniform uh, team 
so that everybody would kind of work the same. But unfortunately, people aren't like that. <laughs> and at the same time, I really believe that uh, one thing that I do tell human resources is if you want more of the same, you could keep hiring the same. If you want innovation, you've got to hire people who think differently and have a different perspective. You're not going to invent, you know, the next Apple iPhone by having all the same people in your room. You've got to have people trying it out who have a completely different way of looking at things. And so, yeah, HR has a great challenge. One thing that I try to help them with is when they're making their job posted postings to make sure they're using inclusive language, to make sure that it's very clear that they are definitely open to putting their money where their mouth is and saying, okay, well, we're not going to discriminate. We're going to um, try and find a place for you here and and make make people comfortable to apply. Because a lot of times they'll be like, eh, you know, I kind of, I fit this criteria, I think, but I'm not 100% sure they're going to like my purple hair. You know, it's something like that. So it's, it's about advertising that your culture is open and willing to try in the first place. What about employee handbooks? They don't always respectfully address each and every employee at an organization. So do you have suggestions for human resources in regards to this? For sure. I mean, a lot of times it's, it's language. Um, I know that I, I worked in, in IT, so I would often get emails saying, hey, guys. And I'm like, but I'm not a guy. <laughs> or hey, dudes. And uh, it, it felt very, uh, it felt very exclusive, right? I felt, I felt like I was not part of the team. Um, and so, employee handbooks, they can make an effort to have gender-neutral language. You can say "Hey, folks!" instead in your email. Um, you don't really have to say, you know, it's not that kind of that kind of uh, greeting is not even mandatory in the first place. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is, is the language. A lot of it is having policies that uh, are very clear about what harassment is or what workplace intimidation is like, uh, making sure you have a clear policy for what's tolerated and what's not tolerated and what will happen uh, when these things aren't respected. And then again, make sure, again, put your money where your mouth is. If this is what you say you're going to do to address the problem, then please address the problem. Um, and that should come without any retaliation to anybody who reports uh, an issue. I work with one company that has an anonymous uh, tip box kind of thing where if they're not comfortable about something, but they don't really want to show their face and go speak to HR, they can say, you know what, I didn't. And sometimes it's funny, like um, uh, complaints, but it could be like, I don't I don't like the wallpaper in <laughs> in the break room or something, but at least provide a venue where people are able to express themselves and able to say uh, what they need to make their workplace more comfortable and, and then allow them to focus on their work and be more efficient. Now, recently you helped to do something that I haven't heard about before, and that is to make uh, Montreal's first completely inclusive and accessible networking and employment event. I think an event like this is really so important because networking events aren't very accommodating. Uh -huh. And as a result, I think it keeps people from participation. Right. How did you make this event more accessible than a typical networking event? So it was amazing. And I, I did it partly just to prove that it could be done. That was part <laughs> of it. Um, now, it wasn't perfect. I'm not going to sit there and say it was, it was perfect. It was my first try. 
but I had a great advantage in the sense that the space that we were in um, was actually the space of Promo 21, which I'm on the board of. It's a nonprofit print shop that um, employs autistic or intellectually disabled people. So I was part of the creation of that space. And when we renovated it, we made sure that things like lighting and sound and, and uh, you know, the layout of everything uh, was already accessible. And it is already wheelchair accessible as well. So, um, and it's a big, it's a big open space. So for things like noise, I can't control 100% because it is in an industrial loft kind of thing with very high ceilings. But we have natural light coming in. Uh, it's like windows all around. Um, and so it was already designed to be accommodating for the employees that we have. So that was like one step that was already done. It was so much easier when you have a venue that's already kind of set up. And then it was an issue of I made sure to ask people when they signed up for their tickets what kind of accommodations they would need. Um, so I ended up with three deaf people attending. So I had to get two interpreters. Um, so we had English ASL interpretation going on the whole time. And they were able then to network because they had somebody with them basically to, to speak to hearing people. So that was fantastic. Uh, I speak French and English. So that's part of our accommodation there. The food, I tried as much as possible that everything was kind of uh, separate. So people can pick what they want as kind of buffet style. So people can not have to worry about cross-contamination and can pick what they want uh, on their own. I had chairs. I had, I don't know. <laughs> that's just, it was, you know, like I said, having the venue already be accessible was like half the battle. And then it was just the little details and, and that we had to work out. But it wasn't it wasn't that complicated. Honestly, it wasn't that complicated. It wasn't hard. And um, I'm very pleased with uh, being able to do that event. It, it's interesting you mentioned the food because I have a what probably would be thought to be a pretty restricted diet. And I just assume wherever I go that it's going to be tough to find food to to eat. How often do you think that stops people from going to those types of events? I am I'm like you. I I have some food um, allergies and restrictions, and I I am particularly well. I wouldn't say I'm picky, but uh, yeah, that that was part of my consideration because. For me, I'm either I would go to the event and either I bring food. Uh, it depends on the kind of event. At a networking event, you can't, you know, you would look kind of out of place if you're kind of walking around with your own food. Um, or I'm hungry. I'll just be hungry, and then I'll have to wait till I get home later. So I probably leave earlier. And that's why it's a big consideration. That's why I take it into into account uh, when planning these things because I don't want my experience to be replicated. I want it to be easier for other people. Now, life certainly goes beyond just the workplace, and Completely Inclusive seems to understand this by providing support to make other environments accessible. So one environment that definitely isn't uh, accessible quite often is, I would say, is conferences. How do you help event planners at these conferences make them more accommodating to neurodiverse people? So again, we, you know, food, I actually work with a, uh, a caterer, a cook, uh, and she has her certification in food safety, um, and she's autistic. So when we do an event, I rely on her expertise greatly um, to kind of 
give ideas to event planners or caterers um, the type of foods that um, can be made. Again, often when you have a food restriction, like for me, I can't eat gluten, um, your options with common restaurants or common uh, caterers becomes, oh, here, have a potato or have a, you know, they don't, they don't put a, they don't put effort into making it good. They just hand you something that is acceptable. Um, and yeah, I've been to conferences where I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to eat. Like, I don't even know what, what I'm, what I can do. Um, and I guess that's, again, that's why I really didn't want that uh, experience. I want people to go to a conference and, be able to again sometimes it's about getting through the door just getting in the door and feeling welcomed in that space being able to eat being able to listen to a workshop um you know and 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 have it in the language that works for you whether that's sign language if it's a simultaneous translation or live uh captions i really actually do rely on live captions and i have an app for that on my phone because i am uh hard of hearing um, there's, there's a whole, again, it's a, a lot of little details that people forget about, or they just don't think about. And I help, I help conference organizers understand these kind of, of little tweaks that they can make to really make their conference much more enjoyable. Whether it's hearing or just even being able to process all the language that's in a in a keynote or a, a breakout session, how important do you feel it is for conferences to have the um, that type of information available? I love it personally. I love it. Um, it's so often if sometimes you look down and you, or maybe you're taking a note and then you you miss something. With my transcription, uh, the live transcription app, um, I can go back. I can save the transcript so I can go back to it later and I can. Uh, reread it. Um, again, note takers, those would also be handy to have available as well. Uh, people who offer their slides and notes uh, to attendees can also help. Um, and it's not about giving away all your uh, all your property or all your information, but it's about making things accessible. I can actually um, show you. I don't know. If, um, you can see because we're on video. Yeah. Um, this is a Braille... Um, it's a braille brochure, basically, of the notes of the conference I went to on Wednesday, uh, which was a disability rights conference. And um, it cost about, I was told, it cost about 50 cents per page to make a, a page braille, to have it typed out in braille. So it's not a huge cost to just make it accessible for, for everyone. Again, like I said, these things don't cost a lot. They don't take a lot. It just takes consideration. It just takes thinking about it and getting it done. Now, other than the type of events that we've already talked about, are there any events that Completely Inclusive uh, helps to provide accommodations for? Uh, no, I think that is enough <laughs> for me. That's enough work. Um, I, what I love to see, uh, I do love to travel, and I love to see companies that offer uh, accommodated travel, uh, accessible travel offers, And uh, because I do travel often, and I think that's a fantastic thing. I just don't have the bandwidth to, to do everything, um, so I'm really focused on, on, uh, on conference events and, uh, and the workplace. And I hope that by doing those things, that that will make 
change in the rest of society. I hope it spreads. That's really what I want to see. I want to see all of society being completely inclusive eventually. And for those listening, how would they learn more about the great work that you and Completely Inclusive does? I am all over social media. So aside from my website, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm probably on LinkedIn more than anything else and on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, the only place I am not is Twitter. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Kelly. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and thank you so much to Kelly for the conversation. I really enjoyed listening to hearing Kelly talk about the workplace audit that Completely Inclusive does. How great would it be if every business went through an audit like that? Modern life can be challenging for just about anyone. When you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind, and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we celebrate neurodiversity by empowering adults and teens to be the best versions of their authentic selves. The people we serve are the real experts. We're here to help your goals become a reality. To get an Autism Personal Coach for a loved one or yourself, all you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Dr. Michael Hannon about the experiences of African-American fathers of autistic people. Talk to you then. Conversation issues Keeping it short Even with people